What U.S. president had to marry his wife twice、ah. because her divorce from a former husband wasn't final yet? Oh, scandal, scandal! Yes. And Bob, how many times a day does the average person tell a lie? Never. Never. Yeah.、Oh. <laughs> Answers <laughs> to those. You're lying. There's one. <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of the Off Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off ramp—a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, Marcia, you're going to give us some perspective on lying、That's、today.、Right. So, Bob, how many times a day do you think the average person and you are average person? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm above average. <laughs> lie number two so okay. far. Okay. <laughs> Does the average person tell a lie? Wow. Now that in is interesting because you know you think about this. You may do white lies to friends,、uh-huh. like I can't really come, I don't feel good, or yeah. whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh dear! So, how many times does the average person lie in a day? Right. This is、uh, multiple studies. All right, I'll say ten times. That seems like a lot of lies. It in does. A day. That would be more of a、uh, habitual liar. Actually, it's.、Uh, Better than you think. It's only two or three times a day. Oh, really? Yeah, it's easier to lie for men, middle-aged men,、mm. middle-aged white men, educated. Think about that. Okay, but I only、uh, have a bachelor's degree. So, <laughs> so you know. Anyway, <laughs> so you're right.、Uh, we're all liars because you know you look great. I'm doing great. And、uh, what's my favorite is don't be silly. You're not getting that for Christmas. <laughs> that's my. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a good white lie. That's my favorite yeah, lie. Yeah. I、uh, I can and everyone believes me every year. <laughs> you do a lot of lying at Christmas time, Marcia. And I relish. That's your core competency. It is. Is to lie for Christmas. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Well, this wasn't a lie. This was a mistake. Okay. So, what U.S. president had to marry his wife twice? Because her divorce from a former husband wasn't、uh, final yet. Oh golly! Twice was it one of those? It goes back a long time ago. Okay, it wasn't.、Uh, I'm thinking of the early guys. It's none of them. So we go up to the ones. I don't know. Buchanan. Buchanan. Early, early middle guys. Yeah, Buchanan, Tyler,、uh, Buchanan. Yeah, the bachelor lied about getting married. <laughs> Was he a bachelor? Jeez, <laughs> I don't know. Andrew Jackson, Andy Jackson. Yeah, his wife Rachel was the daughter of the boarding housekeeper in Nashville, where Jackson took up lodgings. She left her first husband, who got permission from the Virginia legislature to sue for divorce. Jackson married Rachel, and two years later, they discovered that divorce decree had only then been made final by the court. So、ah. they'd been married illegally. Oh, terrible! So he had to marry her again.、They、Incidentally, were... Jackson set a local record for duels. Most often, <laughs> they were over the question of his wife's honor. Really? Yes. Oh my gosh! That's、yeah. a, that's that's crazy. Okay, Bob, you'll like this. Rolling Stone 2022 updated its top. 100 television series of all time. Okay. They surveyed all sorts of people from all walks of life, especially in the in the business, in showbiz. Okay. So anyway, can you name any of the top ten TV shows? TV show series of all time. Of all time. The okay. best. Okay. So I go back to early ones like I Love Lucy and Dick Van Dyke. Those are two I think that are just yeah, outstanding. Yeah, not on the top ten. Mash. 
MASH was uh, not on the top 10. See, this is always the way things go. I Uh, know. You ask people, what's the best of all time? It's always something they've experienced personal. I agree. But it's not about something that was back maybe before them. Yeah. So I don't know the answer. All in the Family is on it, but it's number 21. Uh, so and that would have been number one a number of years of ago. Of course, yeah. of course. It's all in the year you do it. People so are what's asking. the answer, so Marsh? The Sopranos, The Simpsons, The Wire, Breaking Bad, Fleabag, Seinfeld, Mad Men, Cheers, Atlanta, and The Mary Tyler Moore Show came in at 10. See, there you go. Uh-huh. And it all depends on right now. What it is right now, what people think. It's yeah. like the, who's the best president? It's yeah. always, who have I experienced? Yeah, yeah. Never go back. But you know what I didn't see? One of our favorites, old-time shows, Frasier. Mm, yeah. one, of, one of the best series for writing and acting around. Okay, Marcia, two more presidential questions. Okay, Doc, I love those so much. When a woman once told Calvin Coolidge, I made a bet with my editor that I could get more than two words out of you, what did President Coolidge say? No way. No, he said, you lose. <laughs> Again, only two okay. words. Yeah. All right, one yes. more. Okay. What U.S. president was an orphan who traveled west to work in the gold mines in California and in Australia? That wasn't Teddy, was it? No. Who? It was a president from the 20th century. Yeah. He was an orphan who traveled west to work in gold mines in gosh, California gosh, and gosh, Australia. Gosh. Here's the hint. He became a mining engineer. Oh, I should know this, shouldn't I? Uh, I do not know it, but... Herbert Hoover. Oh. Yeah. See, now there's a president most people don't know much about. He was born in West Branch, Iowa. He later went on to work in the Reward Mine in Nevada City, California for $2 a day, seven days a week. And then he moved with the gold rush to Western Australia in 1897. And in Australia, he gave the company advice on a mine that made the company more than $65 million. He also was a mining consultant in China. He made $4 million for himself before he became president as a mining consultant, mining engineer. That's a lot of money back in the day. That was a lot of money. Is he considered, in history, a poor president? Yeah, substandard president, I guess. You know, that he probably didn't handle the economy that well during the Great Depression. It was a very difficult time. And FDR really shined on that. Okay, Bob, who wrote this? There was a little girl who had a little curl right in the middle of her forehead. When she was good, she was very good indeed. But when she was bad, she was horrid. Horrid. That's right. Horrid rhymes Rhymes with with forehead. Yes, yes, it does. does. Yeah, I know. But I don't know who wrote that. Yeah, I didn't either. And that's why I put this in the show. I find it hard to believe, but it was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Oh, no kidding. (laughs) I didn't know that either. I always thought of that as kind of a bit of doggerel. I never think of it as good poetry. No, it's a famed American poet. Longfellow, who's known for works like Paul Revere's Ride, which we all had to learn, mm-hmm. uh, he wrote that goofy little verse about his own daughter. No kidding. Yeah. His son, Ernest, wrote in a book called Random Memories that it was while walking up and down with his second daughter, then a baby in his arms, that my father composed and sang to her the well-known lines. Lines? I'll be darned. Yeah. He, so he... Uh, so she was like, she was, was fussy one night or yeah, something. Yeah, he, he was walking the floor with her. <laughs> and then he, that... Uh, I wouldn't have guessed that in a million years. Speaking of babies, I have a question for you about a famous expression. Throw the baby out with the the bathwater. What does that really mean? Well, keep the good stuff and get rid of the bad. Right. Don't get rid of something valuable while you're eliminating the unnecessary. 
So where, do, <laughs> where does that come from? I don't know. It's believed it comes from the early 1500s when families bathed only once a year. (laughs) And uh, they also used the same water for every person in the family. I think that's a little exaggeration, but they did use the same water over and over again. Did they? And the adult males had the first turn, followed by the females. The children would be last. And by that time, the water (laughs) would have been pretty filthy. Oh, my God. From everyone who'd bathed. And because babies were the last in the tub, which was now very dirty, there was the risk of accidentally throwing the bathwater out with the baby still in it. Oh, my God. At least that's the that's the word that's I have the, here. Yeah. Why would you put a newborn baby in? Dirty oh, bathwater. Real dirty bathwater. Very water. different times, Marsh. Yes. Okay, now here, think. put your thinking cap on. Okay, let me let me find that. Okay, okay let me, I got it. Oh, you I look got, funny got in that. Well, it, it's a stupid-looking it, hat. It becomes you. Name the most adapted-to-the-screen authors. The most adapted to the screen yeah. authors. I think Stephen King is one. He's got like 10 films or He's, 10 TV shows. Yes, he is. But I'll give you an example. Uh, like number eight is Hans Christian Andersen. Hans Christian Andersen. Had 217 things adapted for either, you know, the uh, internet, the TV, movies. He's got 217 credits. So Wow. Give me some of the top guys. Okay. Um, no women on this particular no list. No women on this one. Okay. Go back, go back, go Sorry, back. Sorry, I'm trying to go back. Way back. Way back. Shakespeare. That's it. Number okay. one. All right. Eight, 831 screen adaptations. No kidding. Yeah. Now, that's not counting plays. It's screen. And it so can, that's for films, TV, etc. Uh, yeah, anything that's on a screen. Okay. And, and want to guess one more? Is it also go way back? Like Mark Twain, is that one of them? Nope. No? Okay, somebody farther back than that. I don't know. Okay, Billy Shakespeare, Anton Chekhov, number two, with 320 adaptations. Mm. Charles Dickens, Bob. Oh, of course. 300. Uh, Alexandra Dumas, 243. Edgar Allan Poe, 240. Robert Louis Stevenson, 225. And number seven. I went up to seven because I knew you'd like this. Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, so okay. You have to Sherlock I, Holmes. Yes. Yeah. He. How many adaptations has he had? Well, right there, I was guilty of what I was accusing other people of. I was only talking about recent things. Yes. And those are all authors that go back hundred, two hundred, yeah. three hundred, four hundred years. Very good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Made me feel like a jerk. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, Marcia. Where did iced tea first become popular? Now it was a World's Fair. And it was more than 100 years ago. Where was it and when was it? Iced tea. Yeah, like I keep track of all the world's fairs. <laughs> okay, I'll say the Paris Expo in 1850. I think that was in London, but okay. Uh, <laughs> the St. Louis World's Fair. Well, you said not in the United States. I did not say that. Oh, that's what I thought you said. No. I was going to give you choices, but you never asked. Oh. So here are the choices. Chicago, London, New Orleans, St. Louis, or Cairo? I'll say St. Louis. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was. It was St. Louis, and it was the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair, where it was popularized by a merchant named Richard Bletchenden. His hot tea wasn't selling in the summer heat, so he simply threw in some ice, and the new drink gained popularity, particularly in the South, where heaps of sugar were added to make the sweet tea. So today, 85% of tea consumed in the United States is iced. Really? Yeah. I hate that iced or hot tea. You well, don't like I, tea at all? Well, I do the spiced tea, the uh, natural tea, uh, herb tea. Herb tea? Well, 
Didn't he grow up in your neighborhood? I used to go out with him. Herb G? Yeah. Okay. Ready? Yeah. What story has been adapted into the most movies? So we didn't cover this already in our previous... No, no. This is uh, like this number six is Hamlet by hmm. Shakespeare. It's 31 adaptations Okay. into different movies. So we were going by authors. Who were the authors? This is what story? What story had the yeah, most like movies? like Hamlet is the story. Should I give you number five? Sure. Frankenstein. By, okay. By All Mary right. Shelley, 37 plus times. I can't imagine what was number one, so I'm going to let you tell me. Okay. Dracula. Dracula. Yeah. No Bra- kidding. Bram Stoker, 62 different versions of Dracula have made it. Then Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, 50 plus. Wow. A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens, 49 plus. So he and uh, Hugo were right up there. And then number four is Sherlock Holmes, of course, and that's 44. That is amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. All right. We talked about icebergs. Where is Iceberg Alley? <laughs> and don't say it's down the street from your house. Is it in Antarctica, Newfoundland and Labrador, New York Harbor, or the Black Sea? I'll say New York. No. It is off of New York. It's a treacherous stretch of the North Atlantic Ocean off the coast of the Canadian province of Newfoundland and okay. Labrador. Okay. So that is the same area where the Titanic went down, one of the most famous victims. It sank about 400 miles south of Newfoundland, and that is Iceberg Alley. So forever and a day, that is where ships have had to be concerned. Okay. But why is something or someone of superior quality, like moi, called... <laughs> Pardon me? I'm sorry. Uh called a cut above. A cut above. Yeah. Where does that expression come from? Cut above must have had something to do with, I would say maybe it's um, lumber. Could be a cut above the tree line or something like that. Good guess. No. Uh, Could be something to do with tailoring, clothing, Ah, things like that. You're on to something. Cut above Uh, the rest. Yes. But I don't know the answer. Well, that's pretty much it. The expression dates back to the 18th century and literally means the quality of the cutting or fashioning of a person's clothing. The superior appearance or station in life of someone with a good tailor or milliner is obvious when compared with a common man or woman and makes them a cut above the ordinary. Hmm. It's sort of a relation to the expression, the cut of her jib, which relates to the style or cut of a ship's sail. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I've got a question about a tasty drink. What tasty drink was the result of a kitchen chemistry experiment? And here's a hint. It was turned into a powder to avoid shipping it in breakable glass containers. Something very popular. Kool-Aid. That's exactly right. (laughs) And where was it? I don't know. Hastings, Nebraska. Edward Perkins. He was fascinated by chemistry, determined to become a self-made success, He was always tinkering in his mom's kitchen, and he came up with this thing called Fruit Smack, (laughs) a sugary drink. Oh, God. Came in six flavors and four-ounce bottles, but shipping those glass containers, there were a lot lot of breakage and high costs. So in 1927, he developed a method to remove the liquid and repackage the leftover powder in envelopes, and that was when Kool-Aid was born. I'll be damned. And there's a uh, Hastings Museum. Kool-Aid no longer made in Nebraska, but in the Hastings Museum, you can see the history of Kool-Aid there. If you ever are in Hastings. Well, our next trip, uh, instead of... uh, It'll be a stop. (laughs) 
We got the Corn Palace to get to in North Dakota, and we got Hastings, Nebraska. Oh, my God. And then, of course, the biggest ball of twine. Well, I'll look for that. And what in Wisconsin, isn't that the uh, Museum of Mustard? That is a mustard museum, yeah. And it's pretty cool, actually. Have you been there? Yeah, you and I were there. No, we weren't. Yeah, we stopped over there. You went with your family, maybe. No, not with my family. I went with you. I don't recall it at all. Is it something I've wiped from the memory bank? I think so. (laughs) Okay, time for a break. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Grape Poupon, this is Bob Smith and Marcia Smith with The Off-Ramp. We do this show for the Cedarburg Public Library every week. goes out over the only library-sponsored internet radio station in the United States, CPL Radio. And also, we're on numerous podcast platforms. Yeah, but that's so cool that our little library is the only one in the world. The only one. In the world. Okay, speaking of the world, where was the first revolving restaurant in the world, Marcia? I'll give you countries. Thank you. Choices? Choices. Germany, Switzerland, China, France, or the United States? I forgot the question. (laughs) What country had the world's first revolving restaurant? Where was it? I'll say United States. United States. And when was it? Uh, 1958. Wrong again. (laughs) Twice. Okay. Here's the answer. The world's first revolving restaurant opened in 1959. Oh, my God. I got it. Hey, one year difference. Atop the Florian Term, which is a telecommunications tower in Dortmund, Germany. The tip of the tower reaches 720 feet. So that made it Germany's tallest freestanding structure at the time, and the restaurant is still there. It's located at a still impressive 451 feet, so you have a nice bird's eye view of the skyline. Oh, very nice. So it was in Germany, Mm -hmm. and it was in 59. So I got the state wrong. I mean, the country wrong. We uh, ate at revolving restaurants before. Oh, sure. We had the, uh, in town here, what was the hotel? Oh, top of the Hyatt. Hyatt Hotel. And And I remember one time you left your purse on the ledge there, and then the restaurant revolved around, and we had to run around looking for your purse. Yeah, that was sad. (laughs) Yeah, my purse is gone, (laughs) Bob. So stupid. No, I remember that. That's how I remembered that we actually ate at a revolving restaurant. I would be running looking for my purse. I'm sure that's not the first time that's happened. Oh, I'm sure it's the only time it ever happened. Here's one I really like. It's another word origin. Why is the shelf above a fireplace called a mantelpiece? Okay, mantle, shelf. Now, mantle is like the top of the Earth's crust, isn't it? Uh, Isn't that called the mantle? Yes, it is. Does that have anything to do with it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. (laughs) That's not helpful at all. So, mantle, mantle. Okay, uh, trying to go through the Rolodex here and figure out what that might be. So, I am coming up short. Give me the answer. Well, back in the good old 1600s. Ah, uh, I remember them fondly. Men and women used to wear sleeveless cloaks. That's right. We did wear those. Yeah, for, <laughs> for the, you know, for protection of the weather. Uh, we hear it in Sherlock Holmes all the time. They're wearing cloaks, especially the women, and they call them mantles. I didn't know that. Yeah. You see them in every old movie. And uh, Really? I yeah, didn't know that. And I have cloaks, too. Anyway, these cloaks were called mantles, which were derived from a Latin word that meant cloaks. So when you came inside back in the day and your mantle was wet from rain or snow, you would hang it on the shelf with hooks above the fireplace to dry it off. And over time, that shelf became known as the mantelpiece. So the mantle became the shelf because the mantles were hanging on that shelf. That's right. I didn't know that. I know. That's why I'm telling you. Very good. Uh Uh-huh. 
Okay. All right. Now, back to revolving restaurants. Are you dizzy yet? <laughs> Are you dizzy yet? Okay. Okay. Where is the world's highest elevation revolving restaurant? And I've been there. I've uh, dined is there. Is it in Seattle? No. No. Um, uh, highest. Oh, if oh, Switzerland. Switzerland. Yes. It's called the Piz Gloria, meaning glorious view, and it's on Schildhorn in the Bernese Alps in Switzerland. It's at 9,744 feet. It's a famous restaurant because they were building it at the time a James Bond film was being made. Okay. Her Majesty's Secret Service back in 1969. So they said, hey, we want to put this in the film. Can we help you with the restaurant costs? Oh, yeah, that's, oh, wow, yes, So yes, they, they helped them with the cost, and then uh, part of that film was, was uh, shot there. I remember that scene. Was the food any good? Oh, yeah. And it was it's gorgeous. It revolves. And we had a drink there. Albert Fisher, a friend of mine who I met uh, in our company at Rockwell, who just celebrated his 85th birthday. He and I dined up there. He took me up there. It took like four cable car rides to get really? to the top. Oh, And then you look down and see people taking off on skis down that mountain. And it's like, oh, my, oh my God. God, you oh. people have a lot more guts than I do. Oh. But there's 360-degree views of the other mountains there, the Eiger, Monk, and Jungfrau. Those are major peaks in the Alps, and it's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. So that's where the world's highest elevation revolving restaurant is today. All right. There's a secret station, Bob, in the London Underground system beneath Buckingham Palace. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Well, that was probably in case the king or queen wanted to go somewhere. They decided that we'll make a special way to get there. It's only for an emergency. During warfare? It doesn't say. It just any kind of emergency. Like going to the bathroom emergency? I have to get to the bathroom? <laughs> Good God, Bob. No, it's so the family can escape to Heathrow Airport if they have to get out quick. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So it's a separate route. It goes from Buckingham yeah, Palace, Palace to right. Heathrow. Yeah. I wonder if there's something like that for the president. Like, oh, they have to have stuff. Now, if this separate... is in a trivia book, I mean, uh, <laughs> how secret can it be? That's true. <laughs> kind of destroys the whole... Wait, where'd the queen go? The oh, security. I know. Heathrow. Okay. According to my trivia book, she's in the <laughs> underground right now. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. God. I'm still saying the queen. It's the king, where he would go in an emergency. Oh, Lord. Okay. Okay, I have a question for you. Now, you know, certain things are banned in certain countries. And there is a popular soda that's banned in Japan and the EU. Is it Pepsi? Mm -hmm. Is it Dr. Pepper? Is Mm -hmm. it Mountain Dew? Or is it Coke? What's the answer? Oh, Dr. Pepper. No, it's Mountain Dew. Do the do. Do the do. And why is it not allowed in those countries, in Japan or the EU? What's the reason? Any idea? No. It's not the caffeine. I thought that might be it. No. It's because it has brominated vegetable oil in the recipe, and that oil is a flame retardant outlawed in those countries. You're kidding. No. So people are drinking a flame retardant, yes. Oh, jeez. And just so you know, it's also found in Gatorade and Powerade. So if you're drinking for energy, Uh, you've got a flame retardant inside of you. (laughs) Good to know in case you swallow your cigarette. Oh, my God. (laughs) A spokesman for Gatorade says, brominated vegetable oil acts as an emulsifier, which 
spreads the flavor evenly across the drink. Still, it is kind of scary. If it is a... A flame retardant, what's God. it doing in your kid's beverage? Um. <laughs> and to be fair, as of 2014, Coca-Cola and PepsiCo said they would remove the substance from their products. So as of 2020, Mountain Dew, manufactured by PepsiCo, no longer used BVO in the mainline beverage. But the original BVO-containing formula is still sometimes sold as Mountain Dew Throwback. So you could still get it. Still, it doesn't sound like a good idea. Uh, can you name the first actress to appear on the cover of Life magazine? Was it Lauren Bacall? For no. some reason, I think of her. No, I, I thought of Marilyn Monroe, but okay, maybe, it wasn't Maybe her. it's um, Mary Pickford. It's Jean Harlow. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, she was the very first actress to appear. A very vampy. Okay. All right, Marsha, what is the original baby name dictionary? Say again? What is the most... What book has more baby names than any other? <laughs> um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What's the title of the book? More baby names come from this book. Is it a baby name book? Like In a way, no. <laughs> no, it uh, serves other purposes. Oh, it's the Bible. That's exactly right. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. More than half of the top 50 baby names for boys in 2019 had biblical origins. And let me give you some of these. And you go, oh, yeah, of course. Jacob, uh -huh. number 13. Daniel, your brother's name was Daniel, uh -huh. number 15. And then things like Noah, of course, yeah. number two. Uh, Elijah. There's Think of others. Jonah. Think of all these other names that are really popular right now. So uh, more baby names come out of the Bible, even today, than any other single book. Huh. Okay. What movie, Bob, had the most people listed in its closing credits? It wasn't It's a mad, 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 mad world, no, was no, it? No, no, no. Well, it was it one of the big Star Wars or yes. one of these kinds of films? It wasn't a Star Wars, but it was that genre. Okay, so then was it a Marvel film? Yes. Uh, was it uh, The Avengers? No. Thor! No. I can't tell you the names of all these films. They I, all blur into one to me. Iron Man 3. Really? Yeah. There were 3,310 cast, crew, and executive members listed on those credits. That's, wow. That's a whole lot of... That's a lot. Can you tell me, Bob, why there won't be an Iron Man 4? No, I can't. Because he died in uh, one of the Avenger movies. They buried him. Of course, that doesn't mean he can't rise again. And come back in a dream sequence. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. okay. Marcia, this sounds like a dream to a lot of people, all right? Mm -hmm. What city has a two-mile underground pipeline to transport beer? <laughs> Do I get choices? Yes, I'll give you choices. Okay. Munich, Germany. Yeah. Home of the Oktoberfest. Jeez. <laughs> Moscow, Russia. Yeah. Bruges, Belgium. Or Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> that was my first guess, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'll say Milwaukee. Okay, so the question again, what city has a two-mile underground pipeline to transport beer? And your answer is... Milwaukee! <laughs> no. no. I think that's just wishful thinking on your part, yeah, yeah, Marcia. Yeah, I guess so. Can't we just go there and take a sip? <laughs> no, it's Bruges, Belgium. Okay. There's a beer pipeline that travels from the bottling plant of Halvman, one of Belgium's oldest operating breweries, two miles outside of town to the city center. Built to avert the costs and inconvenience of transporting trucks snaking through the city's historic district. So it carries 1,000 gallons of beer an hour. Golly. Just think of that. that. Oh, my God. Do your college party there. What a then. unique delivery system that is. Yeah. 
It's just a spigot in your living room. And there's one place where you can view it via a transparent manhole cover. Oh, really? Wouldn't that be a tourist attraction? Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. All right. I'm going to finish up with two quotes from two sports figures. Okay. The first one is rather philosophical, actually. It comes from Muhammad Ali. A man who views the world the same at 50 as he did at 20 has wasted 30 years of his life. Mm. Isn't that a good one? Yeah, no perspective, in other words. Yeah. Didn't develop any, yeah. any other way to look at Not life. Not a bigger view. I thought that was that outstanding. That is good. That's a good one. And good old Hank Aaron, a Milwaukee guy for a long time. It took me 17 years to get 3,000 hits in baseball. I did it in one afternoon on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad hole he yeah. was at when he was... Hank is very good at self-deprecation. Oh, that's funny. All right, we hope you enjoyed our show today and hope you join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The, the Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.